So um, what I'm going to talk about tonight is go a little bit more in heading, in, heading towards the Acts. What I'm going to talk about is Peter and Peter's story. Because Peter had an experience with Holy Spirit himself. Um, because Peter kind of didn't exactly look like the most likely disciple to succeed, perhaps, uh, before the cross. He, w- he had some struggles, didn't he? And I think most of us probably can relate to him in one way or the other. But when you look at who he was in Acts 2, something happened. Something happened between the, the, the disciple that just kept putting his foot in his mouth and the disciple who, when power, the power started following, falling and Holy Spirit was tongues of fire and everybody's like, what the heck is this? He's like, let me tell you, he very calm and very self-controlled and full of spirit. He was able to pastor that. So um, I want to look at that tonight. So Peter was one of the disciples. He hung out with Jesus for years and year, for three years, right, all together. Um, he was sitting at Jesus' feet. He was being mentored. He was being loved on. He got to see the stuff. Jesus is, is praying for people, signs, wonderful wonders, deliverances, healings. Day in and day out, Peter is experiencing this. And Peter is sent out on his own mission trip, and he's doing this stuff and seeing amazing things happen. And yet it's, it took him a while quite a while, actually, to really catch on to the fullness of who Jesus was. Um, in Matthew sixteen twenty three, um, Peter, um, Jesus is teaching the disciples and talking to them about who he is, and he, he, he asks them initially, well, who do you think I am? And they start playing it safe, right? You guys probably remember this scripture. They're all like, well, they are saying you're Elijah. They are saying you're Jeremiah. They're, they're saying you are John the Baptist, because by now John the Baptist has, been, has, has died. Um, and he's like, no, who do you say I am? Like, we're going to get a little more vulnerable. We're going to take a little risk. I want to hear what's going on inside of your head. So Peter, Peter pipes up and says this. You are the anointed one, the son of the living God. Oh, Peter, you've been paying attention. Yay, he heard. Um, And Jesus answered him and said, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. I think I have a different version up here. This is the passion up here. I'm going to read another version in in a minute. You are a blessed person. This was not revealed to you by human beings, but by my heavenly but by my father in heavenly places and i will also say to you that you are peter and on this rock i will build my church now this is interesting because there's a bunch of different versions about this in the um, source it says it quite a bit differently it says blessed are you simon barjona for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you but my father And I also say to you that you are Peter, Peter meaning Petros. You are Peter the stone, Petros. And I will build my church on myself, the rock, Petra. 
diff- two different words. It's, rock, it's stone and then it's rock. So in the source, it suggests it was never, it, it was never intended to be that the church is being built on Peter. So if you look at it that way, it's kind of like he's sort of saying, you're awesome and you're wonderful, Peter, but, you know, it really is all about me. I know you want it to be a little bit all about you, Peter, but it is all about me. It's going to be all built on me. And you're going to help, but you're the little stone. I am the rock. Changes things quite a bit. And then just a little bit longer, a little bit farther down, um, Jesus continues to talk to his disciples, and he starts trying to prepare them for what's going to be happening very, very soon. Because the, And they should kind of know this, but at the time, they were all hoping that Jesus was going to bring them into a great deliverance and, and save them from the oppression of being under the Roman Roman government, and that they were going to, you know, he was going to come and be their king, and they were going to just, you know, turn things around, and it was going to be wonderful and glorious. They, yet the scriptures in the Old Testament, if they were paying much attention, would have kind of prepared them for this suffering servant, and the fact that the Messiah was going to have to hang on a tree. And there was, there was a lot of things in scriptures that they, they might have heard if they went to Hebrew school. I don't know if, if they did or not, if they went to the temple. Um, but they weren't, hope, they, weren't, they weren't wanting that to happen. So they weren't wanting to think that direction. So Jesus starts to prepare them for what's going to be happening. From this time forward, Jesus began to show them the disciples, that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. Then Peter, well-meaning Peter, impulsive Peter, Peter who always has the, the, you know, the best idea, took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Okay? This is Peter who's been hanging out with Jesus, who loves God, but he's telling him, nope, you got it wrong, Jesus. This just cannot happen this way. Yeah. Dear Peter. And then Jesus doesn't um, turns to him and says, Get out of my way, adversary. You want to trap me? Your mind isn't on the things of God, just on human things. In another version, it says, um, get behind me, Satan. That's kind of strong. But it's interesting because Jesus said the same things to Satan when he was being tempted. So I think there was probably a little a temptation in there for Jesus. Like, you know, it is tempting to not have to go through this. So don't tempt me with this. Don't say those things. Don't you realize right now you're not looking at things through the spirit. You're looking at the things through the eyes of man. You're looking at things on the world's, based on the world's values and not on my values. So Peter, I don't know if he got it or not. We, didn't hear, we don't hear quite the rest of the story here. But um, Peter tried really hard. But he wanted so much to just have all the right answers. And he wanted to so prove to Jesus he was the best and he got it. And, um, but he wasn't really listening, was he? Wasn't really paying attention. And then we move forward a little bit farther. Um, 
In Matthew 17, there's the Mount of Transfiguration, and there's Peter, James, and John. And so, hey, Peter's on the inner circle. He gets picked by Jesus to come up to the Mount of Transfiguration, and glory of God comes down. It's amazing. What's the first words out of, out of Peter's mouth? Yeah! Woo! I didn't know Peter sings. <laughs> okay, maybe he did. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, we all know what happens, right? Peter's like, I have a great idea. Let's build booths, whatever that's about. I don't know. But he just, he just had to do something. He had to make something happen. He had to fill up the space. He had to, you know, left brain took over and spirit went out the window. And he's like, ah, the glory of God just came. And he just wants to make something happen. I don't know about you, but I've, I've done that for sure. <laughs> Bless Peter, I tell you. He just, he just, even after all that time, and I'm, I'm kind of sharing this and going through Peter's life because sometimes we think we've been walking with the Lord for a while and we've heard, he's, we've ta- been taught things, we understand things, but why do we keep on, you know, doing things wrong or, or um, not allowing the spirit to fall on a, fall and, and um, not be as responsive as we think we should be. You know, we're all human, and so was Peter. And it's for all of us. We're learning, and we're glo- growing by glory, glory to glory. We are growing in this understanding of what it is to really be dependent on him. And that's what, um, you know, Peter was definitely needing to grow on the, in this area. So we're going to move a little farther, and now we're getting very close to the time of the of Jesus' death and resurrection, um, the day before, actually, he's going to be crucified. And that's John in John 13. Jesus is there with his disciples, and he's teaching them, and he's talking to them again, getting them ready, preparing them, giving them some last messages that are going to help them. Um, after he's gone, these some messages that are going to help them uh, continue to, to walk when he's not there with them all the time. In this case, he's, um, he's telling them that he wants to wash their feet. And he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' dirty feet and dry them with his towel. But when Jesus got to Simon Peter, he objected and said, I can't let you wash my dirty feet. You're my Lord. And Jesus replied, you don't understand yet the meaning of what I am doing, but soon it will be clear to you. See, Jesus was not washing his dirty feet. This was a very, very significant symbolic thing that was happening in the... um, Hebrew culture, shoes are very symbolic of covenant. You know, we, we don't understand that in our culture. It was like, huh, what? But when you, and it happened throughout the Old Testament as well, when you took off your shoe, when, when your feet were washed, it was symbolic of new covenant. So he's washing those, their feet that they would walk out a new, clean covenant with him, something they've never done before. 
And they probably should have understand that, understood that at some level because there was an understanding of the symbolism of shoes. I'm not that familiar with exactly what that would have been. Um, but he really he missed the, significant, the prophetic significance. Jesus was showing them that he was granting a new inheritance his own. He was giving them by this washing of the feet his inheritance. The sandal is often used in covenants of inheritance, and every defilement is removed so they could place the sole of their feet upon new covenant inheritance. So the message he was trying to give them is going to be all fresh and new. And this was something in the culture that was understood. But Peter was just, his eyes were like, no, you're my Lord. You can't wash my feet. I'm the one who's supposed to be serving you. He was kind of locked up in old understanding. And Peter looked at Jesus and said, you will never wash my dirty feet. Never. One sentence. The next, <laughs> but Peter, if you don't allow me to wash your feet, Jesus responded, then you will not be able to share life with me. Oh, and Peter, oh, well, that changes everything. So Peter said, Lord, in that case, don't just wash my feet, but wash my hands and my head too. Yes. Passionate, you know, Peter, you're going to do it right. You're going to do more for me than you do for anybody else. We're just, it's like Peter, Peter, Peter. Oh, Peter. And Jesus said to him, you are already clean. You have been washed completely, and you just need your feet to be cleansed because of the covenant significance of the feet. Yeah, you've already been washed, Peter, because I took care of that for you. And then... um, And then it's getting later in the, in the night, and Jesus has shared a lot. He's prayed for them. You know, the, the passages in John 14, 15, 16, he shared a lot. And then he's giving them some last little messages and telling them some things they don't really want to hear. And along the way, Jesus said to them, Before the night is over, you will all desert me. This will fulfill the prophecy of the scripture that says, I will strike down the shepherd and all the sheep will scatter far and wide. But after I am risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and I will meet you there. So he's telling them, all of them, you know, I am going to be struck down and you guys are going to freak out and not know what to do. And then Peter, of all the disciples, speaks up and says, Even if all the rest lose their faith and fall away, I will still be beside you, Jesus. He's so confident in his faith and so confident in his loyalty. And Jesus says, Are you sure, Peter? In fact, before the rooster crows a few hours from now, you will have denied me three times. And Peter replies, I absolutely will never deny you, even if I have to die with you. Bless you, Peter. (laughs) And all the others said the same thing. You know, they meant well, didn't they? They weren't really looking in their heart, really weren't really quite checking in. Because all they knew is that Jesus had been there with them. 
You know, he'd always been there. He'd always been there to take care of them and back them up and support them. But it's going to feel a whole lot different when he's not there to take care of them like he had been. And they weren't quite ready for this. And so, of course, Jesus is crucified, as we know. Peter, indeed, denies him three times. Um, It's got to be devastating. I mean, this guy that had been with him for three years, and now he's not there, and it's so confusing. And yes, he said it was going to happen, but they really weren't quite believing it was going to happen. I don't don't think, not like this. I mean... He said he was going to come back. How's that going to happen? So I think they were all very, very confused, very stuck in grief, maybe a lot of shame because they weren't able to be there with him, maybe a lot of guilt, a lot of regrets for the things they did do, the things they didn't do. So they're in quite a state. But then, then as we know, the good news, Jesus absolutely crucified, raised from the dead, starts showing up again. They start seeing him. He starts talking to them. And see, it happened just as I said. But I want to focus, of course, we're focusing in on Peter tonight. I want to focus on in on that, um, that scene between him and Jesus where Jesus asks, oops, I think I went one too many. There it is. He talks about the love. Do you love me, Peter? Do you love me, Peter? Do you love me, Peter? Um, Because I know there's a lot of different teachings on this. And I was kind of sitting with Peter, trying to sit with him, trying to get inside his head, trying to feel what he might have been feeling with this. Some interesting thoughts came to my mind. Um, And one of the things was I, I learned in doing some... Some looking at some different scriptures, including the source, is that I've read in the past that there's this difference between agape and phileo, right? Love, right? That agape love, I'd been taught agape love was God's love for us. Phileo love is the kind of more friendship that we have with each other, and that's actually not true. Both agape and phileo are godly love. In fact, in John 16, 27... The scripture says, and this is Jesus speaking to the disciples, for the fatherly tenderly loves, tenderly phileo you, because you love me and believe that I've come from God. So part of the father's love for us is that affection, that friendship, that I enjoy you kind of love. So it's not a lesser kind of love. So I just want to say that because sometimes that gets confusing, I think, in understanding this scripture. So this is Jesus, and he's having a little moment with Peter. And after they had breakfast, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of Peter, I'm sorry, Simon, son of John, do you burn with love for me more than these? And Peter answered, yes, Lord, you know that I have great affection for you. Always, you know, passionate, full of enthusiasm. First thing that comes, you know, comes to the top of his head, he's going he's gonna to say that. Well, then take care of my lambs, Jesus said. Jesus repeated his question the second time. Simon, son of John, do you burn with love for me? And of course, again, of course. Yes, my Lord, you know that I have great affection for you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. 
And then Jesus asked him again, Peter, son of John, do you have great affection for me? And Peter was saddened by being asked the third time and said, my Lord, you know everything. I want to propose something. I kind of wonder, I'm kind of wondering if that third time Jesus, uh, Peter realized he'd been kind of flippant and superficial. Like, of course I love you. Of course I love you. The, right, the correct religious answer, right? That's what you're supposed to say to Jesus if he asks if you love him. Of course that's what you're going to say, obviously. I think the third time he went, whoa. Whoa, I need to check in with my true heart. And that grieved him to realize how flippant he'd been, I think. And he went. And I think he also got touched with some deep pain, like some of the sorrow maybe that hadn't been processed. He'd had gone through some tough things. And I think he allowed his heart to get touched at a deeper level. And he looked in there and he said, Wow, Jesus, I really do burn with love for you. I really do. I, it's in there. I can really honestly say that I do really love you, Lord. Because he's an impulsive guy. He you know, said things off the top of his head. But he really had gotten to the place where he could honestly say, I love you, Lord. He processed some devastating things to deny God, to deny Jesus, to lie about not being um, a disciple, to, you know, who, all those different times where he argued with Jesus and told him he was wrong. I think he had to do quite a bit of processing between then and now. But he did. He processed that pain. And when you process your pain like this, God brings out the gold, doesn't he? And Jesus replied, then feed my lambs. And I think he replied, it was with a big smile. He's like, you've got it. You've received my love. You've learned to love me back. And that means you are now able to, feed, to love and take care of my little ones, my children, my lambs. So Peter got transformed somewhere between, you know, from one side of the cross to the other. The reality of what Jesus had done for him started getting in deeper and deeper and deeper, and he became a new man. He was humbled. He no longer has to be right all the time. (laughs) You know, the old Peter, he had to be right, and he had to be better, and he had to be the best and get the most and all that kind of stuff. And I've, I've seen myself do that. You know, we want to prop up our little, our little ego and feel okay about ourselves and prove to ourselves we're okay. Um, and he, Peter got to the place like, I'm letting go of that. I don't have to prove anything to anybody anymore. He had to process his many, many disappointments. I mean, to have his Lord die, Jesus taken away from him and go through all that. He had to process that. He had to bring it to the cross. He had to lay that down before the Lord. Um, And he had to be pretty honest about his motivations. Some of the things motivating him was wanting to, you know, fear of man, wanting to impress other people, wanting to look good, wanting to be the best, show off in front of everybody else. 
And he got to the place I think he started being, he started looking inside and being a lot more honest. Um, and he was willing to surrender his regrets and accept his mistakes because he made some mistakes. We all make mistakes. And sometimes it's just, it's so painful. We don't want to look at them. We don't want to think about them. We'd rather just pretend they're, brush them underneath the carpet. And thank you, Aletta, for sharing your story. Yeah, I mean, to, to go through an abortion and to, to process that means you've had to accept it. You accept it and you bring it to Jesus. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing because how many of you know everything is redeemable at the cross? We're the ones who, who get stuck on our shame and stuck on our guilt. He's like, bring it on, bring it all to me. There is nothing that cannot come to him. So I really think that's... Um, what Peter did, that had to have been what Peter did to get him to the place that he was. He became a new Peter. <laughs> Such that, in Acts 2, where the spirit falls with power, and they've got the fire on their head, and they're speaking in tongues, and there's all these, um, I guess, Jewish people had come, because wasn't it, it was Passover, right? And all these strangers were around going, what the heck is going on? Pente- I'm sorry, Pentecost. Um, Pentecost. And who is it that stands up this time? But not in the way he used to be the first one on the scene. This time he's first one on the scene. He's ready to pastor with love and wisdom. Because he's allowed God to move upon his heart with such power. Peter stood up with the eleven apostles and shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, my fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. You need to clearly understand what's happening here. These people are not drunk like you think they are, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. This is the fulfillment of what was prophesied through the prophet Joel. Now, I think that's fascinating, because over and over again, Jesus was trying to point them to the Old Testament, to show them. Remember that prophecy there? That's what's being fulfilled here. Remember this prophecy over there? That's what's happening here. And they didn't really get it. But now, all by himself, with help of Holy Spirit, he's getting it. Oh, this is that. Ha, good job, Peter. He finally gets it. So, um, because Holy Spirit had come upon him because he'd made space for Holy Spirit. He wasn't being willful and doing things in his own strength and his own inspiration anymore. He's like, I need some help. (laughs) Holy Spirit, help me figure out how the heck to pastor this thing. Nobody's ever seen this happen before. Yeah. So pretty impressive, Peter. Yes, because he really was giving Jesus first place in his life. He was humbled. He no longer had his self-important agenda and a need to prove himself. And he was so able to see the connection between, oh, I'm starting to see the big picture, how this was prophesied, and it's now all coming to pass, just like Jesus said it would be. Peter was, had become a son. He was no longer had that orphan mindset. He was surrendered, surrendered to Jesus' purposes and not to his own. 
He was coming to a full understanding of the power and the purpose of the cross as well. That that's the place we go to take our stuff. Um, I came across actually a a quote by C.S. Lewis today that I think is, is really, really helpful. That is why Christ's suffering for us is not a mere theological dodge, but the supreme case of the law that governs the whole world. And when they mocked him by saying, he saved others, himself he cannot save. They were uttering the ultimate law of the spiritual realm. No, he couldn't save himself. He couldn't. Holy Spirit, according to Romans 8, the Holy Spirit is the one who raised him from his dead. Jesus could not save himself. We cannot save ourselves. And sometimes we get hung up on trying to save ourselves, trying to figure it all out, trying to make something happen. I know I've certainly done that. Um, You know, it dawned on me as a medical professional, when you go to see a doctor, when you go to see a nurse practitioner, PA, chiropractor, whatever, you're expecting that they're really going to be very knowledgeable and they're going to know everything, don't you? Well, let me give you a clue. I actually went to a very prestigious, you know, medical school, PA school. A lot of smart people there, really smart people. But one of the most important things I learned was you will never know everything, ever. The most important thing you can learn is what you don't know. The most important thing you can know is where to go to get the information you you do need and what to do when you are out of your league and you can't figure it out. That's the most important thing to know because nobody knows everything, right? And if we think we do, we're in big trouble. And I would propose to you (laughs) the same thing applies to our walk with God. If we think we know everything, that's kind of like, that's where we can get so stuck. The best, I think, as much, as much inner healing work as I've done for myself and, oft, and done for others, I used to think inner healing was sort of like arriving to the pl- at this place of having confidence and having a sense of identity and worth. I no longer believe that to be true. I think that's the fruit of inner healing. That's the fruit. But I think our goal of inner healing is to get to the place of knowing how utterly dependent we are on him. Because that's the hardest thing. It's the hardest thing. Right? And that was for Peter. That was where he got to. It's like, Holy Spirit, I can't do a thing without you. (laughs) And look how beautiful that was. Like when our worship team gets lost in they're probably not, hardly even aware of what they're singing. I don't know. <laughs> they're just caught up. They're not thinking it, figuring it out. They're just caught up in those words, in, in worshiping him and adoring him and loving on him. And they're letting him lead. And um, I think that should be our goal, really. The rest comes, trust me. The rest is that fruit of the more surrendered we get to him, the more confident we become in him, right? But if we try and get confident in him, we're not always getting our heart healed and surrendered. Does that make sense? Who? hey. 
So Peter came to a fuller understanding of the purpose of the cross. He became secure in knowing Jesus' love for him. And he was really able to start authentically loving others from his true heart. And power showed up too. I mean, that was another fruit of surrender, a fruit of loving was the power that started happening He was spirit-led and spirit-inspired and able to flow in the prophetic and see prophetic revelation like he never had been able to before. Peter is now ready to lead a new move of God. He is, and he does so amazingly well, wonderfully well. He had come face to face with his own weaknesses, his failures, his self-importance. He accepted who he was, and he accepted who Jesus was for him. In so doing, he came face to face with God's love and the incredible power of Christ's death and resurrection. He really got what it was all about, what Jesus had tried to tell them for so long. He's like, oh, this is that. And now spirit is ready to flow because of getting that revelation that Jesus really did take it all at the cross. And we don't have to hold on to anything. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus.